This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com Major funding for this Tanya class is provided by the Mettel Corporation. Additional funding is provided by Tanya students like you. Lessons in Tanya The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg of Mordechai ben Avram, Shem Aliyah, the 17th uh, yard side, Taiv, and uh, only good things, now on only no good things. And uh, right now he's going to address the question that he asked at the beginning of the letter. It says in Psalms, Tzedek Lefonov Yehalech. Tzedek will go before him. So in Hebrew, the proper way to say it would have been Tzedek Lefonov Yelech. Tzedek will go in front of him. Yahalech means you make go. You make someone else go. Tzedek Lefonov, Tzedek before him, Yahalech will make go. It doesn't make sense. Tzedek Lefonov Yelech, before God, righteousness goes before God. Why does he say Yahalech? And based on what he explained till now, we learned the other week, the power of tzedakah. These letters were letters that Al-Tarebbe wrote, fundraising letters. But they were different than the typical fundraising letter that we get in the mail today. <laughs> a sob story, and write a check. Al-Tarebbe explained every f fundraising letter, and there are many, many, most of the bulk of these, this part of the Tanya are made up of the Alter Rebbe's fundraising, fundraising letters. And each letter, he teaches us something profound about what it means to give tzedakah. Something that blows your mind away, something you never thought of, and you never realized how profound and how powerful the mitzvah of tzedakah is. So we already had, um, in the previous chapter, we learned one angle of tzedakah in the previous letter very powerful angle. This letter, he explains that tzedakah has the ability to touch us very deeply. It reaches into the inner part of our soul. Because money, our being is tied up with money. Follow the money. You want to know where a person is at? Follow the money. This is where a person's heart is, the ultimate ego symbol. So much so that we have a discussion in the Talmud, an argument in the Talmud, a classical argument in Rabbi Yochanan and Rish Lakish. In Jewish law, in order to acquire something, how do you acquire it? The law states that an exchange of money is not enough to acquire something. If the buyer and the seller agree, and they agree on a price, and the buyer hands over the money to the seller. But he doesn't yet take possession of the item. He doesn't physically lift up the item, move the item, and make that transition into his own, his own to himself. 
legally the sale is not consummated and therefore both the seller and the buyer could back out. Yes, we give them a moral curse because you gave money, you exchanged money and now you're backing out. Where's your dignity? Where's your integrity? But it's a curse. We curse them. Whoever punished the generation of the flood should punish you. But the deal is a good, the deal is not, is not a valid deal. In court, you can back out, but the seller can back out. Right? That's Jewish law. Now, there's an argument. Rabbi Yochanan says that really, biblically, money does acquire. Money does acquire. It's only rabbinically. The rabbi said that money does not acquire. Why did the rabbis make such an enactment? To protect the buyer. Because if money does acquire, even if you don't take possession of the object, of the item, what happens? That means you can leave the item with the seller. But now the seller doesn't care anymore. It's yours. So if anything happens to it, it's not my business. It's your problem. Why should I save it? Why should I, take, why should I trouble myself if anything, if there's a fire breaks out? It's your money that got lost. It's your object that got lost. It's not my problem anymore. So yes, if he's a righteous person, he's a scrupulous person, there's a mitzvah in the Torah, just like there's a mitzvah in the Torah to return a lost item. If your fellow Jew loses an item, there's a mitzvah to return to him the lost item. That mitzvah includes also the obligation to make sure that your friend, your fellow Jew, should not come to make a loss in the first place. For example, if there's a flood heading your, heading your way towards your friend's house, and you have the opportunity to help him make sandbags, and to stop the flood, and to stop the damage, and to make sure that his house is not lost, you have an obligation to stand there and to help him. Just like you have an obligation once he loses something that belongs to him, you have an obligation to restore it to him and to return it to him. So how much more so you have an obligation to make sure he shouldn't lose it in the first place, if, it's, if you're capable, if it's in your hands, to help that he shouldn't lose it in the first place. So a scrupulous person, an honest person, if there's a fire, the seller, even if it doesn't belong to him anymore, the deal is done, now it's yours. If I can help and salvage your, your item, I, I will do that. But we're talking about a person who's a business person. He's not necessarily the most scrupulous person in, in, around. So he thinks to himself, hey, the deal is done. You bought it. You gave me the money. It's yours. A fire happened. An accident happened. A fire broke out. I'm turning over on my left side. I'm going back to bed. It's not my problem. And if the place burns down, your thing, listen, you didn't have a muzzle, you had bad muzzle, bad luck. There was a fire, your thing burned down, you gave me the money, I'm not returning you the money. It's a done deal. It's over. So because the rabbis were worried about someone who's unscrupulous, who's not going to save the persons, therefore they made an enactment that money itself does not acquire. The I they could have made him a bailee. What? They could have made him a bailee. A gratuitous bailee. So then he would have been responsible. Yeah, but what, what, the, what, what way? 
Here the rabbi said, since, since they are disqualifying the sale, because the rabbis have that power to, to make it, that even though, even though biblically you've acquired it, they say, no, you haven't acquired it. And therefore, now you're responsible. That's the opinion of Rabbi Yochanan. Now, Rishlokish argues, Rishlokish says, no, that biblically you have to pull it in order to acquire it. Now, you have to understand Rabbi Yochanan's opinion. Rabbi Yochanan holds that biblically money acquires, but practically we say that money does not acquire. Does not acquire. Acquire. You can't take possession of the object. If you give money, it doesn't seal the deal. It's not a closed deal. You can still back out. It's only when the buyer physically takes the item into his possession that uh, the deal is done. And, and that's the halacha, like Rabbi Yochanan. That's the halacha, that biblically money does acquire. But practically, the rabbis have the power to nullify the deal. So one opinion is, Rabbi Yochanan holds, the rabbis completely nullify the deal. Because that's the power that God invested in the courts, and the rabbis, and the rabbinic authorities, that even though biblically you acquired it, so it's stealing. How can you say it's like it's mine or it's not mine? You can't play games. Either it's real or it's not real. If a deal is done, the deal is done. How can the rabbis say it's not? Are you stealing from, from the other person? The rabbis have the power to say no. The deal is null and void. And it's, it does, it's not operable. Money does not acquire. You have to physically take possession of the object. There are others' opinions, like Rashi, who say no. The rabbis never went so far to say that money is completely inoperable as if nothing happened. But it means that the rabbis made an enactment that although technically the deal is done and signed and sealed and there's nothing you can do to change it, the rabbis nevertheless made a decree that if the buyer, if the seller wants, he could back out. Because if the price goes up, he can back out and say, I'm backing out of the deal because I want to get a better price. Why would the rabbis allow him to do that? To do something so scoundrelous? It's, it's because to back out of a deal after the money was given, we give him a curse. It's not a nice thing to do. Why would the rabbis make an enactment to enable him to back out even after the money was done? To do something so unscrupulous? Because we're worried. Because this person, who, that's exactly what we're worried about. We're only worried about the person who's unscrupulous. The person who will allow his friends, a fellow Jew's item, to burn to the ground and he won't lift a pinky to save it. Because he couldn't care less. The deal is done, the money, you, you gave me the money, and that's it. I don't have to deliver the goods anymore. It's your, your goods that burn down to the ground. Tough luck. So to save the buyer from an unscrupulous seller... We have to give him an incentive to save it. What's the incentive? The rabbi said that if the price goes up, then you can back out of the deal and then you can sell it for a higher price. So we have to address an unscrupulous person, give him an incentive to save, to salvage this item because maybe the price will go up and then he'll be able to back out and be able to sell it for more money. So even after the rabbinic enactment, it's not like money is completely inoperable. 
It means that money is, even though the, there was a deal and money was exchanged and really the deal is closed, the rabbis left a window, made it a special enactment, left a window open where the seller can back out because he can, may earn more money. He may be able to sell it for a higher profit. Now, Rish Lakish says no. Biblically, you have to take possession in order to acquire. Which opinion makes more sense to you? Rabbi Yochanan's opinion or Rish Lakish's opinion? What do you think? Would the Torah say, make us say that money buys it, but practically it doesn't work? Why would the Torah tell us, give us a law that doesn't work in the real world? According to Rabbi Yochanan, biblically money seals the deal. That's the fact of life. That's reality. But you're dealing with the business world, you're dealing with unscrupulous people, Let's be realistic. So the rabbis made an enactment that it's only when the buyer takes possession, only then that closes the deal, that seals the deal. So why would the Torah make a rule that's not real, that's not practical? It would seem like Rish Lakish's opinion is very straightforward. The Torah initially anticipated, God who created man anticipated the marketplace, and he said, you want to acquire something, you have to take possession of it, physically take possession. Exchanging money doesn't do it. Rabbi Yechonon says no. And Allah is like Rabbi Yechonon. You have to sell the property. I mean, money does acquire. Biblically, money acquires. But the rabbis made it an apple. And Rashi and others went so far to say, not that the rabbis completely make it, made it an apple. You can't say that. But the rabbis left a window for the seller that he can back out in order for him to make even greater profit. Even though it's not the scrupulous thing to do. But we wanted to give this unscrupulous business person an incentive to save this item from burning down, to save it for the buyer. So why would, why would the Torah say that money acquires? Because Rabbi Yechonon is telling us you have to understand the power of money. This fits in with what, the, what we learned last week that Alter Rebbe is explaining in this letter. Money is not trivial. You can't say money means nothing. Money was exchanged between the buyer and the seller. Who can come along and say, well, that doesn't mean anything? It's not real. How can you say money is not anything? Always follow the money. Money is everything. Money tells you exactly where a person's heart is at. Because a person's ego is tied up with his money. Money gets into your kishkis. Money drives people mad. Money tears families apart. Siblings, families, partners. Parents and children sometimes, God forbid. So you can't say money is nothing. Rabbi Yechanan says, I can't agree with Reish Lakish. Money is very powerful. A person's heart is tied up with his money. Inner heart. Money gets into the insides of a person. The Talmud says you want to tell what a person is about, follow the three, kisei, kaisei, vekaisei. See his temper, you want to know what a person is about? Follow his temper when he drinks and his money. If he's stingy at the date, <laughs> cut it. It's dead on arrival. Go home as soon as possible. It's all over. Don't waste your time. A person, a person could be very nice, but money gives everything away. A person is tight in his money and stingy in his money. That's, you need, all you need to know about that person has all been said. <laughs> Nothing more, you can rest your case. Money gets into the inside of a person. There's no bluffing. 
It's a readout of what's going on deep down inside. Because your whole being is attached to your mind. It's the ultimate ego symbol. Your whole identity. Most of the time, most of your life is caught up in earning your money and how you earn your money. And that's your identity. That's how you identify yourself. So Rabbi Yochanan says, you can't say that money is nothing. A buyer and a seller, he gave money and you can pretend, oh, it doesn't mean anything. It's not real. It's, it, you can't say that. Whom are you kidding? Really, it's a deal closer. It's the end of the story. But the Torah, nevertheless, the rabbis made a special enactment to protect the buyer from an unscrupulous seller who, who, will, who would go back to sleep and do nothing to save the item from being burnt down because it's not his responsibility anymore. He sold it. It's no longer his. He couldn't care less about it, even though morally he should care and just, just for the sake of saving someone else's property, if you have the opportunity, you have an obligation, a mitzvah, but he couldn't care less about mitzvah. He's an unscrupulous businessman. He only lives by money. So the rabbis made a special enactment to help this unscrupulous person, give him a window that he can back out and sell it for a greater profit, even though he gave money already. And he gave money and it's real. You're talking about an unscrupulous person, all he cares about is money. He doesn't care about morality, he doesn't care about being scrupulous, doesn't care about being nice and being, doing the right thing. All he cares about is money. That's what he lives for. That's how he defines himself. The whole life evolves around money. He's a real business person, a marketplace person. That's the only thing that's real to him is the marketplace, bottom line, money. You can't say that money is nothing. Nothing happened with the exchange of money. It's not, it's not real. Rabbi Yechelen says to Reish Lakish, you can't say that. So the reality is that money closes the deal. But the rabbis made a special enact. Yeah, practically, either way, practically, the rabbis made an enactment that you have to acquire it physically to protect the buyer. So you, you could back out if there was only an exchange of money and there was no, the buyer did not physically acquire the object. But nevertheless, we do curse him. We give him a moral curse, a moral sanction. The, the court curses anyone who backs out from a deal where there was an exchange of money. You agreed and you actually, the buyer actually gave the seller money and the seller took the money. And then he backs out. We actually curse. Curse. All we can do is curse. We wag our finger can't do anything in court but we curse you this is what we think of you you're a low life anyone who can back out of a deal like that has no no moral compunctions would fit right in with the generation of the flood there was no trust there was no zero trust it was a doggy dog world nothing like the world today but you know <laughs> and uh, the generation of the flood so, Alter Rebbe is explaining the power of tzedakah. When a person is able to give his money, his hard-earned money, his identity is tied up with his money. Money gets into your kishkes. Money is not something trivial and casual and matter-of-fact. No, 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 no. That's not real. You see from the Talmud, you see from Rabbi Yochanan's opinion, that even though practically it doesn't work, but the fact is you have to make a statement and you have to state the truth. Money closes the deal because follow the money. If a person gave money and the person received money, it's, it's sealed. It's sealed in blood. The Hebrew word for money is damim. 
Damim is the Hebrew word for blood. Money is blood. Money gets into your being. Money gets into your kishkes. Who are we kidding? So if a person is able to take that money and give tzedakah selflessly and kindly and help someone else, this, this gets into your kishkes. This touches your being. This touches your core. This touches your essence. This is something very profound. You understand what giving tzedakah means? How deeply it affects us. How profoundly it changes us. It awakens us. And it awakens and it evokes a response from Hashem. Likewise, that Hashem will then open our hearts. Because this is something that touches, gets to us. Yes, it's true. The whole first part of the Tanya, which is called the Book of the Benini, Al-Tarebi basically explained that we are not in control of our subconscious. We can only control our conscious mind, our conscious heart, our external conscious self. We can't really access, we can't really control our subconscious. Only the tzaddik, one in a million, has that ability to reach and to access and to control and to change and his subconscious. We don't have that ability. But the, we do have something that could reach our subconscious and could reach us in the deepest way, to our very core and essence. What is that? Tzedakah. Money. Money hits home. Money hits the spot. Money touches your center. It's a reality. You can't pretend that, oh, I'm, I'm, money means nothing to me. Then you're just deluding yourself. Especially if that money, you sweated to earn that money. Blood money. Till you got that money, till you earned that money, till you acquired the skills. How many years did you go to school to finally have the ability to earn an honest living? And how many hours and effort and work do you have to put in to earn that money? So money touches you very deeply. Anyone who tells you otherwise is totally delusion and dishonest with himself. Not kidding anyone else. Just dishonest with himself. But that's the fact. And tzedakah is taking that and using it for the positive. Taking the ultimate ego symbol and awakening our subconscious, touching our subconscious, touching us in the deepest way. And that's why when a Jew gives tzedakah, it evokes a response from Hashem because God is interactive. Whatever we invest, that's what we take out. However much we put in, that's how God responds to us. It's a relationship. However much you draw closer to Hashem, Hashem draws closer to us. So when you are able to touch your subconscious, touch your essence, tickle your, 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 that place within you, your inner heart, and give tzedakah, that evokes a response from within Hashem. That Hashem responds and Hashem opens our hearts for us, opens our subconscious for us, circumcises our hearts, opens up our hearts. And suddenly that deep, deep neshama feelings that subconscious that we cannot ordinarily access, Hashem will open it up for us and allow us to access it. That's the power of giving tzedakah. And now we'll understand what it means, what the Pasuk means, tzedek lefon of yehalach. That tzedek goes before you. So it should have said, tzedek lefon of yehalach. In Hebrew, tzedek, righteousness, lefon of before you, goes before you, Yelech. Instead it says, Tzedek, righteousness, Lefana before you, Yehalech, will make you go. And now he's going to explain, on top of page 63, 
In these terms, too, we can understand the meaning of the above-quoted phrase, righteousness or charity, shall go, Yehaleh, before him, Lefanov. The word Lefanov shares a root with panimia, inwardness. And Yehaleh, the causative form of the verb which appears in this phrase, in this verse, in place of the expected form, Yehaleh, shall go, shares a root with halakha, leading, it thus implies that charity does not itself go before him, rather it causes some other entity to go before him. For tzedakah leads the innermost point of a man's heart towards Hashem. So that's what it means. That tzedakah has the ability to lead, to reach our inner hearts, which our whole being is tied up with. It's not something superficial. Most of the things, most of the activities we're involved in in our lives, many of it, most of it, much of it, is very superficial. We're very excited, we're very enthusiastic, but it's all very superficial. Money is not superficial. And it has the ability to touch us in a very deep place. So if we're able to take that money and give it to tzedakah and do something godly and holy and selfless and righteous and kind and good with it, what we're doing is we're leading the inner parts of our hearts, not the superficial part of our heart, our innermost part of our heart. That, that affects us very deeply and that we care about very deeply and to give it to Hashem, to lead it towards Hashem, to do something godly with So tzedakah is really the only activity that the average Jew, people like us, have to really affect our subconscious, the inner hearts a place that really matters to us, where things deeply matter to us, very personal, and very profound. Everything else we engage in activities, it's all external, superficial. Yes, we can look very enthusiastic, we can sound very enthusiastic. How deep does it penetrate? How much do we really care about it? You know, you can look at a person and they're talking about something very excited, I'm not sure yet how deep and how much they personally care about this. You know, today they're excited and tomorrow, tomorrow it's gone. In school we get so excited about certain things and then we grow up and then, you know, years go by and you don't even, you don't even open up a book, you know, you don't even look at the subject matter. While you were caught up with it, you were very enthusiastic and animated and excited. But it's very external. It's not something that's personal. It's not something that's deeply personal. It's not something that's has any sticking power, has any staying power. It's not real. It's, it's all very surface, skin deep. But money is the one area in our life It's not skin deep. It's very personal. It's very real. You know, Americans like to talk about anything and they'll share the most intimate things with strangers. But not when it comes to their money. <laughs> they don't talk about their money because it's too personal. Yeah, but wouldn't you say, like, say, for example, someone's family, that has a deep meaning, right? So, Sadaka, money, that has meaning, but family, I think usually family comes first. Right. But that feeling is there. I mean, it's not something you have but to... You're saying that's more innate. That's right, that's innate. It's not something you have to... Uh, Acquire. And nevertheless, you see how money tears families apart. Mm-hmm. Right. When there's a funeral and there's money involved, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> beware. Brothers are not talking to their sisters and the, the siblings are not talking to each other and they're mm-hmm. fighting like cats and dogs. Sometimes even when there's no money, they're fighting. 
<laughs> because they think there may be money, but so you see that uh, unfortunately, but that's the power it hits home very, very deeply. So if you're able to take that selfish instinct, that natural ego, and you're able to give it to Hashem, that opens your heart to Hashem. It opens, that means that your Yiddishkeit is real. You know, you want to know if a person is for real or not? A person could be righteous and swaying in the synagogue and shaking like a lulav up and down. Check his pocketbook. Is he writing a check? Does he generously give tzedakah? And really give tzedakah? I mean, a serious donation, not giving a penny and, you know, $18 check and it means nothing. But really giving 10%, 20% of your earnings. For real, not, not playing games. I mean, the real McCoy. Then I know that he's for real. He's a real person. Otherwise, it's all fluff. You can see a person on the outside looks holy and righteous and pious. And then you find out the guy is stingy, doesn't give a dime to tzedakah. I mean, the whole thing is fluff, it's not real. Whom is he kidding? This is a moment of truth, because this hits home. This hits the spot. This is real, this is personal, this is intimate, this, this is reality. This is a reality track. You know, you can delude yourself up to a point. But then there comes a moment of truth. You know. So this is the power of tzedakah. Tzedakah has the power to lead to lead and to access our innermost being to Hashem, to connect our innermost being to Hashem. And when we open ourselves up to Hashem on that level, that our connection becomes cemented and so real, Hashem responds in kind. Hashem doesn't respond superficially. Hashem responds also profoundly. And He opens our heart for us. He opens our innermost heart. We can access the deepest parts within us, which, as He explained earlier, this is redemption. This is a personal Mashiach, a personal redemption, where we experience our subconscious, we experience our deepest neshama feeling emerges in our conscious level. And we can access it and experience it and feel it. So Hashem is interactive. When we touch ourselves in a, such a deep way, Hashem will respond in kind. And that's the only way. It's the only way we can act. I have a question. So just if there's two people and one has more money than the other, and one could give charity because he has more. They both give, but doesn't mean the guy that gives charity is a better guy because he has more money. I it's do. easy for him because he has... So the guy that doesn't have so much but really wants to give, if he doesn't have it, it means Hashem is going to help the one that has more money? No, no. That's a very good question. That's a Because a lot of people right. go to shul and right. they feel like they're ashamed because right. they don't have so much to give. No. It's a very, very personal, it's a very subjective thing. That's the difference between philanthropy and tzedakah. Philanthropy means giving your last dollar to tzedakah. Mm -hmm. Tzedakah means giving your first dollar. A person who has no money and gives one dollar, but that dollar was blood money. Okay. That dollar was his bread money. And he had to literally think, am I giving that dollar? It means I am literally have to figure out how am I going to make ends meet. That person, once he becomes a millionaire, will also be writing real checks. A billionaire who writes, gives a million dollars, maybe to him it's like us writing an $18 check. It means nothing. That's not tzedakah. Looks very nice for the newspapers, for the cameras. But that's not real. Tzedakah means writing a check that hurts, that's real. 
giving a chunk of yourself, a piece of your heart, a piece of yourself. That's everyone according to their level. Hashem doesn't ask. It's not the quantity, it's the quality. A Jew in Eastern Europe who was starving and nothing to eat and yet he made sure to give a piece of his bread to tzedakah, that's worth more than a billionaire writes a million dollar check, which means nothing to him. He already owns four homes and he already has a plane. And he, has his, he doesn't even know what to do with his money. So he writes a check. It doesn't mean anything. And he makes sure the papers are there and there's no the cameras are flashing. That's not tzedakah. We're talking about tzedakah that rips a part of you. It, 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 it's giving a piece of yourself. It's a real giving a piece of yourself. That's everyone according to the level. I have another question. But the person that gives a lot also, um, a lot of people are doing great things with what he's giving. Yes. So that, therefore, he might get more. Well, he gets credit because to the poor person, who cares what your intention is? The Talmud says if a person goes down the street and he loses money, and you're upset that you lose, lost the money, and a poor person comes and finds the money and you save the poor person's life, the bottom line is you saved his life. Whatever your intentions are, when it comes to tzedakah, the poor person couldn't care less what your intentions are. The bottom line is you saved his life. So yes, he does have that merit. But here we're talking about tzedakah that leads, that accesses your inner heart, that, that touches you in a deep way, that evokes a response from Hashem, that brings a personal redemption, that touches you in the deepest levels and Hashem responds in kind. Hashem is genuine. Our mazal, Hashem is genuine. So we, Hashem is only responds to genuine things. Hashem doesn't care about superficial, you know. The tabernacle, the temple had no plaques. <laughs> it was all genuine, it was for real. You know, the temple, there's no bluff, there's no newspapers, and there's no, it's reality. You're standing before Hashem, it's real. Here we're talking about reality. Al Rebbe is talking about a reality check. Of course, a person who gives money, who cares for all the ulterior motives in the world. At the end of the day, who cares? His money built the yeshiva, his money built, helped the poor person. So he gets credit, that's fine. But here we're talking about the real definition of tzedakah. Righteousness. Tzedakah. Tzedakah that touches us in a deep way. Tzedakah that defines us, that characterizes us, that transforms us and changes us and shakes us up in the deepest place, in the most personal place, in the most intimate place. This is real tzedakah. That's why the Mishnah says, someone interpreted the Mishnah says, Ethics of Our Fathers, we just read the past week, that there are four types of people, of those who give tzedakah. One who gives and doesn't want others to give. One who wants others to give, but he himself doesn't give. So he goes around making sure everyone else is writing checks, but he himself is not writing any checks. But he's making sure that others write a check. One who gives and gets others to give. And one who doesn't give and doesn't get others to give. The question is, why is he even there? It says there are four, the Mishnah starts out, there are four types of people who give tzedakah. The fourth one, not only he doesn't give, he, doesn't, he, doesn't, he has no interest in others giving either. So he's, he, there's only three types of people who give tzedakah. And one who doesn't give. So someone once said, you're talking about a billionaire. When he writes a million dollar check, when for everything else he's writing a quarter billion dollar checks or uh, 40 million dollar checks. 
But for Jewish causes, he's writing a million-dollar check. His statement, what's he saying? His million-dollar check is telling everyone that Judaism means nothing. Because to have his name in a hospital, to have his name in a, in a non-Jewish museum, he's number one. He'll write a quarter billion dollars. But when it comes to a Jewish cause, a yeshiva, a Chabad house, something real, he's nowhere to be seen. Oh, he'll write a million-dollar check. So his, his check, is making, causing others not to give. Because what he's saying is, Judaism has no value. It's the lowest in the rung. It's still end. It's like the spoils, the end, the change. have nothing else to do with it. I'll throw you a bone like a dog. So what's, he te- what's the message that he's giving to the community? That Judaism is my lowest priority. It means nothing to me. I study Torah every day, and my Judaism means nothing to me. The proof is, I don't write a penny. What I do write, compared to myself, is like, like giving a penny, throwing a bone. It has no value. So of course, he's giving. But he's giving in a way that dissuades others from giving and discourages us. It demoralizes the whole community. Because if this rich person, the richest person in the community, who has the equivalent amount of everyone else put together, and to him, Judaism is such a low priority that it's at the end of the end, of the bottom of the barrel, on the list of his charities. It's even though it's a lot of money, it's a million dollars, but it's not. It's also a value system, what you're telling with the giving. It's how you give, it's how much you give relative to who you are and saying that this is valuable to me. If Judaism is valuable to me, then I'm not, I'm not writing, I'm not throwing bones. Yeshiva is not a dog that you throw a bone to, something extracurricular. This is my number one priority. This is Judaism, this is Hashem, this is Torah, this is mitzvot, this is Hasidus, this is Yiddishkeit which is so precious to me. Not a day goes by that I don't study Torah. It's the most precious thing in the world. That should be my number one priority. So it's all relative. Versus the Jew, maybe he's writing $18. But that $18 is blood money. He doesn't have that $18. Tashem, that $18 is worth more and more precious than that million dollar check which is really t- making a statement that Judaism is like, it's, it's so not a priority in my life, it's so m- meaningless to me that it's like something I have no time for, I'll write a, a check which means nothing to me. It means, it means nothing to me, it has no value to me. That's a turnoff. That you can give to Dhaka and it's the biggest turnoff. And the most demoralizing <laughs> contribution. Because it tells the community that you, what you're doing is valueless. I don't value you. I don't value what you're doing. It means nothing to me. But I'll give a quarter billion dollars to some Goyesha museum. Because my name is going to be in the papers. It's, it's, what message does that send to the community? It means everything you've learned, you've learned nothing. Judaism didn't touch you. Even 1% didn't touch you anywhere. It's just all superficial, bluff, external, pump. There's no reality, there's no substance. You have no connection with Hashem. It hasn't touched your inner heart. It hasn't touched you for real. It's not reality. But when tzedakah is the way it should be, and it's reality, then it hits home. And it touches you in the deepest place. And Hashem responds in kind. Hashem will open your heart and do what only Hashem could do. 
because we can't access our subconscious. But the closest we can get is by giving tzedakah. And when we give tzedakah, Hashem will then open our heart for us. He will circumcise our heart. And that is redemption. That is the meaning of Mashiach. That is the meaning of redemption. And on a miniature level, we can achieve a miniature redemption. And that's why we give tzedakah before we pray. And then when we pray, it can be a heartfelt prayer. It can be a genuine prayer. And we, and we feel moved like, like never before. Because Hashem will open our hearts. And then the words will come alive to us. And we'll feel that relationship with Hashem. We'll feel that connection with Hashem. And there's no, nothing greater in this world. There's no greater reward. There's nothing more meaningful than genuinely talking to Hashem. From the inside of our heart. Not external, not superficial but from our very core, our very essence, our very being. That is Mashiach. That is redemption. That is liberation. That is freedom. And that's, not, that, and that's not something that we're capable of doing. It's not something that's within our power. But what we are capable of doing, and the way to reach that, and to get Hashem to open that key, to unlock that door for us, is if we unlock our pockets, unlock our pocketbooks, unlock our wallets, and we give to Dukkah generously, this is evokes that response from, from, from within Hashem. And then he sets his steps towards the way of Hashem. As it is written, you shall walk in his ways. And likewise, you shall go after the Lord Hashem. With his entire performance of the commandments and with his study of the Torah, which is equivalent to them all. So he says, when you follow Hashem's ways, after Hashem opens your heart, after you lead your inner heart to Hashem by giving tzedakah, yeah. then you set your steps in the way of Hashem, because then you're truly following Hashem. Because once Hashem opens your heart, then the mitzvot that you do and the Torah that you study has a different quality to it. Because your heart is open. Suddenly you feel the godliness. You feel how by doing a mitzvah you're actually connecting with Hashem. It's not just a ritual, a custom something very real, you experience it. You're on fire. When you study Torah, it's not just legalese, interesting, fascinating, stimulating. It's godly. You're touching the infinite. You're being touched by the infinite. You're merging, you're uniting with Hashem. Suddenly, your whole Judaism, your whole service of Hashem comes alive. You're following in Hashem's footsteps. There's a relationship, there's a connection. Verses, I'll continue. And they all ascend to Hashem through the inwardness of the heart, which is revealed through the service of tzedakah. We learn in the first part of the Tanya that the mitzvot need that energy for the mitzvah to rise, for the mitzvah to soar. So depending on the amount of quality of the energy with which you do the mitzvah, you do the mitzvah with love, you do the mitzvah with a sense of awe, with a sense of egolessness, then the mitzvah, like a bird, the bird soars, the mitzvah rises, it, it elevates you. The whole experience is an elevating, uplifting, inspiring, illuminating, wholesome experience. Versus if you just do the mitzvah with negative energy, motivated by ego and ulterior motives, and the whole mitzvah is way down. The mitzvah, you've done the mitzvah, but it doesn't go anywhere. There's no energy to lift up the mitzvah. The whole experience is a negative experience, not a positive experience. So here he's saying, even you can't compare when the energy that's motivating through the mitzvah is from the external level of the heart, 
which is our conscious level of loving Hashem and appreciating Hashem, but it's all based on the conscious level and the human logic versus when Hashem opens our hearts, our inner hearts, and something emerges from the depth of our being and suddenly we can experience godliness. It's not just words, it's not just abstract concepts. It comes alive to us in a very personal, intimate way. And then with that energy, that's the motivation, that's what we pour into the mitzvah. This, then this mitzvah soars to a whole other dimension. And then we can fulfill the mitzvah of following in Hashem's footpaths and footsteps. Can I continue? And this ascent is more intense and reaches far higher than their ascent to Hashem through the externally of the heart. For this extent is born only of man's computation and knowledge of godliness without an illumination of the divine countenance inwardness from above but in a state in which the countenance is hidden. So when we approach Hashem only with our minds and our hearts, external hearts, then Hashem is hidden from us. Godliness is something that's abstract. It's something philosophical, abstract, otherworldly, hard for us to relate to it. So even if we work up an enthusiasm, we work up an excitement, it's very superficial. Hashem remains hidden and we're into it, but externally we're into it. Internally, our heart remains blocked and clogged and we don't really respond to godliness. But when Hashem opens our heart, then it's a whole different story. And then Hashem is smiling at us. When Hashem is smiling at us and we respond, we respond in kind, Hashem responds to us, then it touches us very, very deeply, very profoundly. And the mitzvah is a whole different experience. The learning Torah has a whole different flavor to it, a whole different quality to it, a whole different energy to it. It becomes an inspiring experience that, that sears into our souls, that leaves a mark in our souls. You know, you can do a mitzvah and you've done your obligation, you've done your duty, you've even done it enthusiastically, but when you're done, it's over. But then when you do a mitzvah and your inner heart is open, it leaves a mark in you. know, you're on fire. You're a changed person. When you study Torah and you sense the divine, you sense the godliness, Hashem, you feel Hashem's presence. You're studying and Hashem is sitting right opposite you and you're studying together almost. That Torah will leave an indelible mark in It will affect you very profoundly and very deeply and inspire you and give you that energy. Then the Torah nourishes you. Then the Torah nurtures you, the mitzvah, the Jewish way of life, leading a, a Jewish life, observing a Jewish way of life. It nourishes you, it nurtures you, it inspires you. It's something you genuinely look forward to. It gives you strength, it gives you energy. So it's a whole, a whole different level of Yiddishkeit. And you can see it in a person's face. It's all in the face. You can see when a person is going through the motions. Unfortunately, emotions, that's what we see. You can see when a person is enthusiastic, he's into it, he's concentrated, he's focused, he's into it. But still, it's only external. But then when the inner heart opens up, it's a whole different experience. The face is glowing, it's a whole different experience. You see the person is present, his whole being is present. It's just an inspiring, extraordinary experience, uplifting experience. So imagine now a Yiddishkeit, instead of being a burden, the Yiddishkeit becomes this extraordinary experience. The only way to get to it, however, is through tzedakah. 
by giving tzedakah. And that's what he says now. For the supernal countenance does not radiate downwards except through an arousal initiated from below, through an act of charity, charity being called peace. And this is the meaning of the verse that says, He has redeemed my soul in peace, or through peace. This, as explained by our sages, refers to tzedakah and acts of loving kindness that are known as peace. So Shalom makes peace between two strangers by giving tzedakah. Money, the ultimate ego symbol, and usually money tears people apart, and here you've used that money to create a bridge, to cement a relationship, <laughs> to bring two people closer together. Nothing, there's nothing as powerful as when you help a person in need to cement that relationship. It becomes so real. Nothing that you can say, nothing spiritual comes close to how powerful the bridges that you, c the connections that you create through physically reaching into your pocket and helping a person in need. So that creates peace, the ultimate peace. And by give, by, through that peace, my soul is redeemed. The verse speaks expressly of my soul inasmuch as it refers to the Shekhinah found in the soul of each and every Jew. For the divine spark that vitalizes the soul of every Jew, is redeemed through peace, through tzedakah. So nafshi, my soul. My soul means like the innermost part of my soul, the soul of my soul, the Jew within the Jew. That's the godly spark. That's the shechina within me that's located at the very center of the being. But it's hidden. It's trapped. It's concealed. It's dormant. I can't access it. I can't reach it. What does it help me? A Jew is a Jew is a Jew when I can't reach it and I can't access it and it's, it's not doing anything in my life. It's not a force, it's not a power in my life on a conscious level. So it needs to be redeemed. So Pada, my soul is redeemed, it's brought out into the open, it's brought out of captivity. But how? Through Shola, through my bringing peace, through my giving tzedakah, physically giving tzedakah, taking money and physically giving tzedakah, and creating peace, the ultimate peace and harmony. This evokes, this allows my neshama, this evokes a response from Hashem, that Hashem will redeem my soul, release my soul, and then I'll be able to experience the pintali, to access it, access all that richness that we all have deep down inside of us, to feel it, to experience it, and to live it. And now he explains the word shalom. This is also the reason for which chari is called peace, because according to the teaching of our sages of blessed memory, by virtue of charity, peace is made between Israel and their Father in heaven. So it's not only that peace is made between two people through giving tzedakah to someone in need, but through, through that peace we also bring peace between us and Hashem. Why aren't we at peace? Because our inner hearts are in one place. It's completely, the godly spark within us is godly. All we care about deep down inside is godliness and holiness. That's the only thing that matters to us in the deepest level. But on the other hand, on a conscious level, what do we care about? Money, material things. We don't care that much about spirituality. We don't take it to heart that much. Up to a point, but you know, hands off. You know, don't, don't dive in with everything that you have, relax, be cool, be detached, do what you have to. But we are human beings. We are materialistic beings. And therefore, there's a clash. There's a conflict between us and our Father in Heaven. 
Because where we're at, externally and consciously, is not where the spark of Hashem within us is at. The spark of Hashem within us, his whole being, is consumed with godliness. That's all it cares about. It has a life of its own. A reality of its own. But externally and consciously, all we care about is materialism. So there's a clash. It's a conflict. It's unnatural. It's not real. How do we make peace? How do we reconcile this conflict? By giving tzedakah, by making peace between two people, by giving, taking money and creating peace and harmony, using that money to create, to bridge and to create peace and harmony between two people. The, that brings about the peace between us and our Father in Heaven, between our consciousness and the spark, the godly spark within us, that suddenly we can feel the power and the strength of our Pintaliyid. And suddenly we feel the richness of our Neshama. And we feel how this is my center, this is who I am, this is what I am really all about. Godliness is who I am, that's my identity, that's all I care about, that's the only reality. There is no other reality. What's my life? What do I live for? What, where do I come alive? When I study Torah, when I do a mitzvah, when I act selflessly, when I act kindly, when I, this becomes my reality. And suddenly, I'm no longer schizophrenic. Right now, there's no peace, there's conflict. Like a Jew is almost schizophrenic. One part within us is godly and holy. We're not human. <laughs> We're godly. On the other hand, we're all too human. Or maybe, maybe not a mensch in the other extreme. <laughs> Either way, we're not a mensch. one hand, we're not a mensch because we're really divine and godly. On the other hand, we're not a mensch because we're literally not a mensch. We're just a chazer. We're just, we act like an animal. We act in ways that are completely selfish and self-centered and self-absorbed and egotistical and, and egomaniacal. And we trample and we hurt everyone around us. And we, so we are like schizophrenic. We're like torn in two different directions. Who are we? Where are we? That's why we're so conflicted. Jews are so conflicted. Jews are so angry and so conflicted and so torn apart and so confused. How do we make peace? How do we harmonize the Jew between us and our Father in Heaven? Between us, our external self, and our true self, which is the spark of God within us, which is our true self. That's who we really are. By giving tzedakah. Tzedakah is that bridge. When we create that bridge between us and another human being, we physically put our hands in our pockets and give our money, hard-earned money, and write a check that's hard for us to write and do it and help another person, that also creates the bridge and creates the peace and the harmony that we become whole. Shalom also comes from the word whole. Shalemut, we become whole. We become peaceful, reconciled. Our material self, our spiritual self, our human self, our godly self, we become a whole person. You become a harmonized person, a consistent person, where there's no conflict between our external selves and our outer selves. That is redemption. That is Mashiach. That is the greatest level a person could reach. Being consistent, being whole, being outside like inside, inside like outside, being on the same page instead of being conflicted, schizophrenic, torn to pieces, confused, discombobulated which describes the average, typical Jew's state of mind. Because we're so torn and conflicted. And this is what brings peace. This is what creates the harmony. For the redemption of their souls, which are truly a part of God, from the grip of the forces of evil, the Alter Rebbe 
wrote this letter, like most of the letters that comprise the Dred Codish, in connection with the charitable son of Kolalabad in the land of Israel. This fund reported Rabbi Mendola Orodoka and his colleagues, together with their disciples who had settled there, hence the Alter Rebbe concluded. The Alter Rebbe's mentor after the, Al- the Rabbi Dovber passed away was Rabbi Mendel Haradaka, who actually saw the Balshemtev also. And the Alter Rebbe himself packed his bags, said goodbye, <coughs> took his family, said goodbye to his Hasidim, and traveled with them with the full intention of moving to the land of Israel. The first settlement of Jews in Israel was 100 years before Theodor Herzl was born, was actually the Hasidic group that came from the, the students of the Baal Shem Tov, the students of Rabbi Dov Ber, Rabbi, led by Rabbi Mental Haradaka. They first moved to Jerusalem, then they moved to Tzvat, and eventually they ended up in Tiberias. It was, it was desolate, Israel was desolate, it was a wasteland, there was no way to earn a living. And Alta Rebbe, who was convinced and persuaded to go back, because the Hasidim needed him, they needed a leader to lead them, during that tumultuous time when Hasidism had so much opposition from right, left, and center, especially from the Vilna Goyen and the Lithuanian Jews, the scholarly Jews, and they felt that the Rebbe was the right one who could lead the Hasidim, and, uh, as he did. And, uh, but Alter Rebbe took it upon himself to be in charge of raising funds to support this community in Israel, couldn't support themselves. And this was Eastern European Jewry going back 200 years ago. They were struggling to put bread on the table, yet every family made a point of having a pushka, of putting aside some money. Before every meal they sat down to eat, they would put something in the pushka to care about a Jew was less fortunate than them to help the Jews in Israel. And this was the Koilul Chabad. Alter Rebbe founded the Koilul Chabad to support the community in Israel, which is functioning until this very day, which is very, very active. So the Alter Rebbe, this was a, um, an appeals letter, a charitable appeals letter that went out to the Hasidim, but a very profound letter, a very powerful letter, an illuminating, enlightening letter. But this was what motivated the Hasidim to give tzedakah and to give it generously and to give it with a smile and to give it wholeheartedly. And Alter Rebbe concludes now that although everything we just learned till now is true of any tzedakah, how much more so amplify it a thousandfold when you give tzedakah to Eretz Yisrael. When you give tzedakah to support the Jews living in Eretz Yisrael, there's something very special about that. So everything that he said till now is much more, is, is emphasized that much more and is much more powerful when the tzedakah is to help those in the land of Israel. And that's what he's going to conclude now. This is especially the case with charity for the land of Israel. For it is truly the charity of Hashem, since it is directed to a place where the divine name is revealed, to a land of which it is written, the I, i.e., in most quintessential efflux and attention of the Lord, Lord your Hashem, are constantly upon it. In this vein it is also written, and my eyes and my heart will be there at all times. It is this charity for the Holy Land that has stood by us to redeem the life of our souls from the counsel of those who seek to repel our steps those who desire to harm us. And this charity will stand, for, will stand by us forever to set our soul in the true life of the fountainhead of life so that we will be enlightened with the light of life which Hashem will make His face radiate with us. Amen. So if the point of giving to Dhaka is not only because you feel charitable, but it's about righteousness, it's about leading the inner heart, touching us in the deepest way and evoking a divine response, what does Hashem care most about? 
The land of Israel. That's his home. That's what we just read in the Torah. The Shabbos. Hashem's eyes is constantly in the land of Israel. It's the Holy Land. Even the non-Jews call it the Holy Land. They don't call London or Moscow or Rome the Holy Land. There's only one Holy Land in this world. And that's Israel. Even they call it Israel, knowing that it belongs to the nation of Israel. The Arabs have no connection to the land. Never have and never will have. And never will be. But this is the land that Hashem cares about. This is His land holy land so if you're trying to give tzedakah and connecting with Hashem and to evoke Hashem's smile Hashem's radiant face what better way than giving tzedakah to the one area that Hashem cares so deeply about where Hashem's eyes and face is constantly so to speak constantly present and felt in the land of Israel so when you're supporting the land of Israel you're supporting the Jews living in Israel there's no greater level of tzedakah there's no intense level of, no greater, more intense level of tzedakah that touches Hashem so deeply. And surely, if when you give tzedakah in general, Hashem responds. How much more so when you give tzedakah to the land of Israel, Hashem will, with a radiant face, will respond and awaken the spark within us and will achieve redemption <coughs> and freedom and liberation and harmony and wholeness and completion. And that is redemption person who's whole, a person who's consistent, a person who there's no schizophrenia, there's no dichotomy, there's no split, no split personalities in the inside and the outside, will be completely one, where godliness will become our life, will sense it, will be palpable, will radiate throughout us, will permeate us, will inspire us, will affect us, and uh, this will become our being and our identity. This is the ideal. This is the greatest thing we can aspire to and hope to accomplish. And it's not something we can accomplish on our own. Only Hashem could bring redemption. That He made very clear. But we could and we have to evoke that response to get Hashem to redeem us. We have to do something to earn it, to evoke that a response that can commensurate our actions. What's a response that's commensurate to our action? What's, what's an action that's commensurate to the response that we're hoping for? When we give tzedakah, when we give money, when we give mm, something that hits home so personally, or something that we're wrapped up in so intimately, and we give it to tzedakah, we do something godly, we touch, through that we touch the divine, and then the divine will touch us, Hashem will touch us in the deepest place, and open up our hearts, and then we'll truly become harmonized and one and whole, and we'll be able to achieve what the tzaddik achieves. A tzaddik, a tzaddik is a unified person. A tzaddik is whole. A tzaddik is complete. A tzaddik is perfect. A tzaddik is, is no longer a conflict between the inner and the outer. But the benni can't achieve it. Until Mashiach comes. That is Mashiach. When Mashiach will come, we'll all be on the level of a tzaddik. But he's saying we could achieve a miniature Mashiach. We could achieve it today. Every one of us by giving tzaddik. That's very powerful, very profound. Something novel, innovative. That we could achieve this peace, this harmony that he's talking about, which is only the tzaddik achieves this peace. We can achieve it today on a miniature scale by giving tzaddik. And then Hashem will open our hearts for us. And even though we're not born with the capacity to touch our inner hearts, our subconscious. But by giving tzaddik, Hashem will shine his face, radiate his face, smile and open our hearts open our innermost hearts 
And then we can achieve somewhat of the harmony and the unity of the tzaddik. This is something profound. This is something incredible. Something counterintuitive, something we would never know from everything that we've learned till now. But this is what the Rebbe is saying in this letter. That's why it's such a powerful letter, such a profound letter. And it hits home. Especially for our generation. Because this is the specialty of our generation, the giving tzedakah. That's the area that we sparkle. That's the area that we shine. There's no other area that we sparkle. The level of our understanding, nothing to write home about. <laughs> the level of our feelings, uh, it's so superficial, it's sad. W- 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 where do we sparkle? It's our actions. We're the generation of action, of deed. We have the opportunity, the wealthiest generation of Jews that have ever lived. We have the opportunity to give tzedakah. And to give tzedakah in a meaningful way, and to give tzedakah in a real way. So this is this is the this letter is talking to us today. This is an appeal letter that Alter Rebbe wrote um, over two hundred years ago. But this this letter hits home today. This is talking to our generation. This is how we can achieve that harmony. We can achieve that redemption on a personal level, and more importantly, we're hoping for from the personal level, from the micro, uh, microcosm, will spread to the macrocosm. <coughs> we'll achieve the general redemption when Hashem will reveal the Shekhinah and the lights will go on for everyone. The light switch will go on and the inner subconscious will emerge and suddenly godliness will become palpable. Hashem will become palpable. We'll all overcome that inner schizophrenia and dichotomy and split and we'll become un- unified and harmonized. And that's Mashiach. What's Mashiach? Mashiach is a spiritual state which translates in the physical state. Of course, Mashiach will mean 40 million Jews will be dancing in the streets of Jerusalem and we'll see the third temple and the temple mount. But that will be a symptom of the inner redemption when the Shekhinah will emerge from hiding, when the world will become completely unified and harmonized. And how do we accomplish it? Through tzedakah. That's what he said in the beginning of the letter. He quoted the rabbis. The Jewish people will only be redeemed through tzedakah. That's the only way. There is no other way. That's the key that will unlock the door that we can access and achieve redemption and bring the response, get Hashem to redeem us. But ultimately, it's in Hashem's hands. So we're not letting Hashem off the hook. We know what we have to do. But ultimately, it's in Hashem's hands. I'm struck by... You're, you're, you're basing everything on money. I think it's more than money. Money itself is just a symbol. It's, it's not real. It's, it's, a, it's a concept. I see money as real, like assets. Uh, for instance, if I go and I visit a sick person, I could be working at that time, I could be doing something else, but I go and I spend my time there, to me that's the doctor. So it doesn't have to be money. Yeah, you're 100% right. It could be something that is valuable, right. which is anything that you can do. So I just wanted to add that. I'm sure you meant this, but... Okay. Thank you. Thank you for clarifying. Money could be, tzedakah could be giving personally, personally. giving of your time, giving of your abilities Building and your talents. A house for absolutely, yeah, that's absolutely, absolutely. It's 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 absolutely value. In the olden days, before we had cash money, cash money is worthless as it is. But uh, when they, it was barter, I gave you my services, my abilities, and you gave me weight. Absolutely, that has value. That's very very valuable. Absolutely. The other thing that occurs to me is uh, it's a very, apart from being a, a wonderful letter, 
really very spiritual and, and uh, I mean it hits home and all of that. Uh, it's also very clever because the original purpose of doing it is because he needed money and it doesn't matter if it's a billionaire who gives him a million dollars and that covers the thing, it doesn't matter because you need the money, you need this a lot of money. Uh, so, but instead of saying give me money because it's going to do so much good and it's good for me, it's good for the people and all of this, he says no, 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 giving money is good for you. Right. So it's a, it's a very good way of doing it. As a matter of fact, every Lubavitch chassid, it, it was expected of him to have a pushka, a kolol chabad pushka mm-hmm. in his house because, like you said, even the poorest person, everyone had to participate. Because mm-hmm. tzedakah, it's not something for the richest, it's, it's something that your life depends on it. And everyone, whatever little you can give. Yeah. But, but it, it's an essential part of a Jew's life. A, a Jew can't divorce his life and compartmentalize. I'll come to shul and I'll sway like a lulav and I'll shake and I'll learn Torah. But when it comes to tzedakah, I'm nowhere to be seen and nowhere to be found and nowhere to be heard. You can't split your life like that. You have to be integrated. And how do I know you're truly integrated? It's when it comes to tzedakah. That's the moment of truth. If your Judaism doesn't touch your tzedakah, your money, then it's not real. You're living in la-la land. In Disney World, it's not reality. How do I know that Judaism truly becomes integrated with who you really are? It's when it hits home. Everyone on their level, when you reach into your pocket and you actually give tzedakah. And no one is exempt. No one is exempt. Everyone is obligated. It's not just the money. It's not just the, if it was just the money, then you're right, exactly. One person could write the check. But since it's important for everyone who's giving, it's important for everyone to participate and for everyone to be a part of it, from the, from the poorest to the richest. The Talmud says that the West, the West, why is the Western wall the only wall? The Medrash says, why is the Western wall the only wall that lasted, that wasn't destroyed? The Western wall of the Temple Mount. All the other walls were destroyed because all the other walls were donated by rich people. One rich person says, I'm going to do this wall, the northern wall, and the other one says the eastern wall, and the other one says the southern wall, but the western wall was built by the collection of every single Jew. Every Jew gave a penny, whatever they gave, everyone participated, the poorest people. And something that the community builds is indestructible. Something that a rich Jew builds, today he has money, tomorrow, tomorrow the market crashes. But what the community builds, this, is, this, is, this lasts forever. This is real. Is there something that's giving too much to Yes. A person who is taken advantage of and they end up being poor and they didn't do anyone any favors. If you give tzedakah to the point where you become needy and poor, then you are a fool. You allowed people, unscrupulous people, dishonest people, to take advantage of you. That's, there's not, nothing good about that. that. That's foolishness. So you give it to a good charity, to a good cause. It's not well, even if you give it to a good cause, you don't want to become a charity case yourself. You can't give if you don't have. If you don't have. A person 
who is a martyr. They give everything for the other person, but they don't take care of themselves. It's not good. Nothing good will come out of it. It's not coming from a healthy place. A person has to first and foremost take care of yourself. If you don't take care of yourself, you have nothing to give another person. A person who's a martyr and lives for the other person is not a healthy person. It means a person has nothing inside. There's nobody home. If you have no center, the, the one person in the world that you could take care of and you have to take care of and you're responsible to take care of is yourself. Only when there's a self could you take care of others. When you're an adult, you can take care of others. But if you're a child and there's nobody home and you can't take care of yourself and you're dependent on others and you become a martyr and you, you allow others to abuse you and to take advantage of you and you give everything that you have to others, that's not a healthy person. It's coming from a lack of confidence. It comes from a lack of security. It comes from the mind is a little uh, tamished and uh, bemuddled. It's not a healthy thing. A person has to have boundaries. You have to take care of yourself. And if you're a shmata and you just allow yourself to be stepped on, you eventually you reach a point where you, can't, you have nothing to give to others. So you're not helping anyone. Is there a percentage? The Torah gives a percentage. The Torah says you give 10%. Ideally, give 20%. But there's a principle in general. The Alter Rebbe says you should give more than 20%. The Baal Shem give more than 20%. But there's a principle, Torah is saying. You have to take care of yourself. If you don't take care of yourself, how will you take care of another person? If you deplete yourself and there's nobody home, you're not helping anyone. You're not doing anyone any favors. Well, there's no set max. One Legally, there is 10%. 10%. No, 20%. That's the legal max. 20%. 20, 10, is the Ten is obligated. Every Jew is obligated to give 10%. Unless they don't have, then they have to give something. They don't have to give 10%. If you don't have, if you're struggling to pay for bread, you don't have to give 10%. If you don't have money, you have to give, everyone has to give tzedakah. There's always a Jew who's poorer than you, but not 10%. But a Jew who could, has to give 10%. You know, the, 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 when the IRS in the beginning... They couldn't understand the, uh, the income reports from Jews here in New York in the 50s and the 60s because here you had middle-income Jews who were reporting 10% of tzedakah. It was unheard of. Nobody in America gave 10%. Even the biggest philanthropists, you're lucky if they give 2%, 5%. Here you had these Jews who were middle-income, lower middle-income, and they were all reporting giving 10%. They didn't believe them. They thought for sure... There's a whole black market black, that they're not reporting. It's not impossible. No one gives such stuff. It took them a while. And today they have training centers where they train the IRS to realize that it's our Jewish culture is that everyone gives tzedakah. So even someone who's, who's barely earning a living, he's a middle, lower middle income, but he's giving 10%. That's an obligation. I'm not doing anyone any favors. Ideally, a person should give 20%. And that's the limit. A person who's very wealthy he can keep 20% for himself, <laughs> he can give 80%, and he'll still be, be very comfortable. But for a person to give everything that he has and become dependent is not wise, it's very foolish. You're not, it's not good, it's not kind, it's foolishness. You're not doing anyone any favors. And anyone who tells you to do that is just taking advantage of you and hurting you and couldn't care less about you. And you allowed yourself to be led, to be fooled by a bunch of con artists and charlatans. There's no advantage to that. So a person has to be wise. Hashem gave a, gave a, ma, a yid a little seichel to realize what's legitimate, what's not legitimate, what's too much. It has to be a balance. Everything in life has to be a balance. Shalom, we just learned. Peace, harmony, a healthy balance. If it's too extreme, 
it's out of balance. You know, it's a little crazy. It's a little mad. It's a little too too much. Everything has to be at the right balance. Otherwise, people can't handle it. Yeah, you can't. Everything has to be. You have to know when to stop. You have to know when to close your mouth. You have to know too much. It's too much. Relax. You have to know. You have to be harmonious and balanced. Everything at the right pace. This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com.